Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady, and this episode is brought to you by Showpad and Motion, our two incredible sponsors. Showpad, if you haven't heard of them, is essentially the best thing to ever happen to your sales team. With Showpad and their incredible platform, you can actually enable your team to win with the content, training that they need to drive more meaningful customer conversations. If you want to learn more about Showpad.com, go ahead and visit them and check it on out. And then finally, we could not produce this podcast without our partnership with the incredible team at Motion. I know they are my safety net. They are a podcasting service company for scrappy marketing teams in B2B tech. They launch all kinds of podcasts just like this one. They'll create your audio. They'll create your video. They'll help you with written content for each episode if you need it. You can find them at motionagency.io. And with that, let's dive in. Today, our guest is Rita Patel-Jackson. I am so excited to have her here. She is the VP of product marketing at MuleSoft, but has an incredible career journey before that. Rita, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. I know. I cannot wait. For everybody listening, before we hit record, Rita and I just started getting into a conversation and I was like, wait, wait, we save this, save this. So I can tell that it's going to be a good one. But kind of just starting with you as this incredible woman in tech and your career, looking back, I mean, just starting with IBM and your experience moving up the chain and moving up the ladder there at a large company as a female moving into an executive role. I can't imagine what that was like for you and what you learned. And then moving to GE Healthcare and then working at Showpad, one of our sponsors, and then moving over to MuleSoft. Tell us about your story. I call it a windy road. A lot of people don't know this, but I have an engineering degree, computer science at the University of Illinois. So love, you know, go Illini. If you're watching the Big Ten March Madness, yay. Anyways, so I really quickly found out that programming just wasn't for me. I hated debugging. And I ended up in this marketing. And back in the day, it was really not product marketing. It was really called uh, product market. It was market management, systems engineering, product planning, a bunch of different things. But everything that I've been doing is I follow that shiny object. So I started out at AT&T and Motorola back in the day with cell phones, right? Doing cell site configurations, really being able to leverage the technology, but speaking the language of the customer. I really understood what the customers wanted. And then I had this incredible opportunity to go to a company like Platinum Technologies that got bought up by CA back in the day when databases were coming out, you know, with this analytics world was starting to come in. And then I took some time off. Seriously, I was raising my children and decided I was done. I really wanted to like just spend time and be a mother. And I found out really quickly that I just couldn't sit at home. I became a school board member. I decided to get my real estate license. I was helping to create websites for the small startups. So my husband's like, go do something that you know you can do both. So I went in and I got a job at IBM at such an incredible time. And once again, in the analytics AI space, back in the time when we were really doing database management and then moved into Watson, which if no one's heard, you know, it was an incredible journey and still is. But that 
whole theme throughout everything that I've done is following that shining object. It was cell phones, then it was database, then it was analytics, and then it was AI. And then it was putting AI to, you know, I used to say to save boobs and babies. It was GE Healthcare. Let's put AI into medical devices and solve and sell the world. And then it was Showpad who's sponsoring. It was like, let's use AI to solve problems that are so important to product marketers, really, you know, being able to enable our sales teams is what we do. And now at MuleSoft, the biggest problem that I found during my data and analytics journey was really about getting access to data, integrating, being able to connect all of your different applications and being so that you can get a single view to solve all of these major problems. And throughout that, it has been a windy road. There's never a single path. I always tell women this. There's never a right time to have babies. There's never a right time to figure out when you want to take the next leap into the next job. I think sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith and let the rest happen. Because if you follow your passion, you're going to get there. And being a woman in tech, it's not been an easy journey. But I'd like to consider myself a trailblazer because I don't use it as a hindrance. I just move forward. And I feel that if you're open and you come to the table prepared and you lean in and have a point of view, people will listen. If you're scared to talk, people won't listen. But if you have a point of view, they'll listen. Back it up with data because I'm data driven and they'll listen to you. How did you learn that? Because I think so many women are afraid to talk and are afraid mm-hmm. to speak up and have these up and down nonlinear types of journeys. And so was it a lesson that you learned that like, look, if you don't speak up, nothing will happen? Or is this just something that you kind of naturally derived? I think it's a little bit of both. I had an incredible mentor, both at early on at AT&T, my, one of my first jobs, and then at IBM. And through IBM, it was about my good 11 years and they were both men and women. And when I wouldn't speak up, because I was shy, believe it or not, this personality came in as I got more confident. But as an engineer graduating, I mean, I would get the sweaty palms just when my boss would ask me a simple question about my code. And now, publicly speaking. But every time I was quiet, I had a mentor that would call on me or ask me for my opinion. And then I got more confident. So I try to do the same to others. And I don't care if I'm gender neutral. So it's, you know, whoever you are, if I I feel like you're not contributing or you can feel it in the room. And it's really hard during the Zoom time because we're doing the Brady Bunch. But when you're in person, you can feel that, you know, there's a lot of people that are just scared to speak up. And I think if you give them the space, they do, because I was given the space. I was given the mentorship to say, Rita, just speak your mind and have a point of view and don't let it stop you from doing what you're doing. And then part of it is just intuitive. I've always been one that is just going after my dreams. I feel more comfortable in the gray and being on the edge, whereas a lot of people are not. So I think part of it is your comfort zone. But a lot of it is it's on us, like as women leaders to empower other women coming up and, you know, around us to have that opportunity to speak in that platform. Yeah. And even throughout our prep, you mentioned one thing that really stuck with me. And it's the idea that to support professional women, especially in tech, which is still very, very male dominated, the change can happen now. Like we can make small changes and small tweaks, but it starts, you mentioned exactly to quote you, it starts when we're little girls. It starts through high school and college. And I think absolutely mothers teaching their daughters that you can be successful despite the sweaty palms and to like embrace them. But also (laughs) as a boy mom, my son is three years old. And to me, I also want to raise him to not be somebody that causes a sweaty palm. And so I feel like it's about all of us who are raising or amongst the next generation to create the change so that 20 years from now, people aren't sitting in a podcast and saying, my God, I'm a smart, brilliant, incredible woman. And I just can't get heard. It's like, to me that like 
every day my responsibility with my son is to be a small part of that change. I'm raising my children the same way. But, I, you know, leading on to that, that is a huge passion of mine. As a young girl, I was very fortunate that my father tinkered. You know, he's an engineer, came here, you know, I'm a daughter of an immigrant. And so we tinkered and we fixed everything. And, you know, as children, we just emulate our parents. And so my dad would always take things apart, and put things back together again. And my mother, just even the cooking, right? I mean, if you think about cooking, that's a science as well. You know, she yes. doesn't write recipes down, right? She's learned it. It's like a handed down recipe. So as I got older, and especially as I had a, the opportunity at IBM to work in the ecosystem and bring all of these partners to build on top of Watson, I met some incredible women that were empowering little girls. And it fascinated me. You know, there's a company called Goldie Blocks that her mission is to, you know, when you're a little girl and you walk down Toys R Us, you know, back in the day, and now I know it's all online. Everything is about dolls. It's about princesses. It's about your Barbies and all of that. You walk down the boys' aisle and you get the tinker toys, you get the cars, you get the rock'em sock'em robots, whatever they have now, right? The ninjas, I don't know what they are. But the girls are always about girls, you know, dressing things up, your hair, your makeup and all of that. But what about the girls that want to build? What about the girls that want the toolbox? So my daughter went away to college and I got her a toolbox and it's a pink one. You know, I went on the internet, I got her all pink toolboxes. And you know, it's so amazing. I just moved her to Denver two weeks ago and she takes that little toolbox out because of course, what do we do? We order from Ikea or whatever, and you're putting things together. She's like on her own doing and building these things, you know, not asking for anything. But I think it starts with us empowering the girls. And then there's this other phase that I have found as I mentor women is we reach this age where you come out of college and you're gung ho, you're all about your career. And then you decide you get married and you want to have children. And then it's like, you know, do I have to pick between my career or my family? And I said, you could do both. It's up to you. It's an individual decision of what you want to do. And so I think there's two opportunities for us to really embrace this technology trend. And then the third one is really about what we can do immediately. It's about empowering these middle school and high school children to continue down technology. There's all of these schools that you can do that are in a lot of these big cities that empower these children that are just not fortunate enough to have a computer, an iPhone and all of this and learn and keep them in school, get them into a two-year school and get them out because you don't need a four-year degree at this point to stay in technology. You just don't. I mean, I hate to say it because I've got a master's degree, but I mean, it's different these days. And that's where I think when we look at diversity and inclusion, which I'm very passionate about, it starts there. The reason we don't have enough people is because you've got to start at the high school and college. I mean, at the high school and the grade school level, they've got to feel empowered to want to continue on and then bring them up through the channels, you know, and then hopefully in the next 10 to 15 years, there'll be a huge pool of, you know, women in tech because, you know, we empowered these little girls to say it's cool. Yeah. When you were talking about walking through the aisles and the toys, I hear a lot of conversation about this, but it's, I was walking through Target the other day with my son and we walked through the girls toy aisle, which to me, I could go on and on about gendering toys where I'm just like, why? Like, why, <laughs> why? do we do that? Like, exactly. And we were walking through the aisle. My son was like, mommy, why are there so many babies? Because it was just like an aisle of like literal baby dolls, like an, an aisle of them. He's like, why are there so many babies? And he was like kind of freaked out about it. And I was like, well, 
well, I guess we're in the baby aisle. You know, like I didn't really know what to tell him. So it's just that kind of thing is wild. But you talked about something that to me is sort of a great staple in leaning into even our topic for today, which is women identifying their skills very, very early and having opportunities mm-hmm. to hone in on them and perfect them. And if that looks like a four-year degree, awesome. If it doesn't, also awesome. Like there can be more than one path to success depending on what you need to do. Exactly. And for you, you've spoken about sales and PMM alignment yeah. in terms of like looking at your career. You obviously are the poster child and the trailblazer for saying, I'm going to pave my path and I'm going to get really good at it. And I'm going to make multiple impacts at multiple companies. And, you know, we talk a lot about sales and marketing alignment because it's important. Like it is important. And a lot would say that those are very, very similar jobs. But you think that PMM and sales alignment is just as important, maybe more important, just kind I of do. at a high level. Like, tell me about that. Yeah. So PMM is a relatively new function within corporations. It's been around for a long time, but I think the discipline is really coming to the forefront. And a lot of times it resides either in the product organization or in the sales and marketing organization. And when you look at what does a salesperson want? Like, who are they talking to every day? It's the customer. And what's the number one thing that a product marketer has to do in order to be successful? We speak the language of the customer, right? What do we do? We take the product. A lot of time it's Gorpy because PMM is very prominent in a lot of the technology companies. And a lot of these companies are building something that's technology based, but they're selling it to a non-tech user or a non-tech buyer. So I am a firm believer that, yes, you have to have sales and marketing alignment because a lot of times it's revenue based, but you also have to have sales and product marketing alignment. And that is really, that's the first thing I do is I go and I learn how my sales teams operate. What are they doing? How are they talking to the customer? Because my job is to translate. I'm a translator. I translate the technology or the product, whatever it is, into the language of the customer so they understand it and then educate the sales teams and more importantly, empower them. I want our sales teams to be so confident in being able to speak the language of the customer and articulate how we solve their problem. And that's where I think the alignment needs to come. I love this. And I imagine that we probably have a lot of listeners who are either building out their marketing strategies or they don't have a marketer. And so they're having to sort of grassroots internally figure this mm-hmm. out. If you were to high level explain the difference between like the traditional marketing and mm-hmm. then product marketing, like if I wanted to build that machine, what does it look like? How are they different? Yeah. Should I do both? Like, are there both? Is that even an option? Mm-hmm. You know, like it break down both. the landscape. Yeah. Okay. So product marketing. So today, the last couple of roles I've been, I go back and forth between working for what they call the CPO or the general manager of the product and the CMO. So let's talk about marketing overall. When we think of marketing, they're the demand gen engine. Everybody thinks of marketing as corporate marketing, which is branding. Let's create the corporate brand. They're responsible for all of, you know, understanding that's always like a big thing. And the second thing you think about is demand gen, right? We're at the top of the funnel, filling the pipe with A, do you know who the company is? Do you know what our product is? And along with that comes all of the content creation. It's a science. I think the demand gen or digital marketing is a true science to get it right. There's another aspect of it, which is who's feeding the funnel with the content? Who's creating the messaging and the positioning? Who's translating what we're building and what we're selling to the customer needs? That's product marketing. We sit between sales and marketing always. Like we are 
the translators. And we speak the language of the customer. And I keep saying that, but what we do is we live and walk and breathe the customer. And so that's where, I mean, it just depends on the maturity of the company. You need both. And I'm not saying you need a big product marketing organization. A lot of times startups, scale-ups, you know, you start out with one or two and you grow. You know, I work for a big company. I work for Salesforce and, you know, Sob. So you can't compare. And even at IBM, it was huge. But when I worked at, you know, Showpad, we were a small and mighty meaty team. And it really was to be able to take what the product team was building and being able to give it to sales enablement. I mean, let's not forget about sales enablement. That's product marketing's number one job. We enable our sales organization and you need to be able to make sure that your sales team are armed with the right content, the right messaging, the right tools in order to be successful, to be able to communicate to the customer around the customer journey, because it is a customer journey. It's not a sales journey. I mean, they're both mapped together, but I focus on the customer journey and it's a windy road. There is not a singular path to success. Yeah, and it should be both. I mean, because PMN should interact at the front of the funnel with new business because we want to make sure that the talk track that people are using, I'm assuming you're not just talking about like email templates. It sounds like you're talking about, yeah, the psychology of our go-to-market strategy and like how do we actually effectively communicate to customers and then turn that into a repeatable, scalable process that we can train people to do and do in their own way, but still something that is trainable, something that is tangible. It is like, this is our process. And and what's working and what's not. So some of the tools that are out there right now are amazing to be able to understand how our salespeople are using, how is your content, all the way from thought leadership, because remember, we're creating a market a lot of times, right? Especially if you're creating a new product, whether you're creating a market or creating a need or a sense of urgency of why they need to purchase whatever it is that we've built. And you go all the way from the top of the funnel to all the way to the bottom, right? And you have to understand whatever you're creating, whether it's a blog, a thought leadership, a webinar, going to an event. How do you show up at an event? How do you show up at a webinar? How do you show up at a customer meeting? And how do you present the content? How, what do you talk about? And the tools that we have today are amazing because you can actually take a look at, if you use the tools that are available, you'll understand how your sales team are using your content around the customer journey, as well as in the sales journey? Are they using it in the right place? Where is it the most successful? Is it helping to move the needle forward? Or are we stuck? Because let's be real, when you're looking at the digital marketing organization, it's always about MQLs translating to SQLs, right? Or sales qualified, you know, sales, it's the numbers game. And there's always this tension. I have never been in an organization where there's never tension between the marketing and sales organization around the conversion rate. How do you unravel that? Some of it is data driven. Part of it is my job as a product marketer. Like, where are we getting stuck in this conversion? And do we really have a conversion problem or do we have a content problem? Do we have an understanding and enablement problem? That's where we need to start unraveling because a lot of that finger pointing just doesn't work. Right. And I even think given the last year, we have learned just how critical this role and functionality is, because if you didn't have it, my guess is your company had a really hard time pivoting because product marketers should have their ear to the ground to anticipate changes in the marketplace, changes in the buying journey, changes in how we should be framing our product and like changes in the way of like, even down to like when we present pricing, what skews we should have. Mm -hmm. And when there's a big change and like COVID could be a change, but like something else could be a big change. There's so many, right? We try to stay six to nine to a year ahead of the product. Most times my big thing is you have to be six months ahead of the sales team 
always. However, COVID has been a challenge. We're lucky if we can stay a quarter ahead of our sales teams because there's so much happening, so much dynamics. However, I also have to say it's been an incredible journey. COVID has been bad and good, right? I mean, I think that we've learned a lot of how to truly be digital, how to truly be online, how to truly understand the pivots our customers are taking and take the journey with them as opposed to forcing them, right? So I think the companies that have really succeeded have gone down and pivoted with the customer. And that's where the product marketers come in hand. Like we understand our customer. We're sitting with them every single day and we're saying, okay, what is your pain point? What's happening? You know, help me understand so I can help you as opposed to making it all about selling. Because I think that's the first thing that I do to my sales guys is if you understand your customer and you understand their pain point, it becomes a natural conversation for sales sales pitch. Yeah. Well, and in your experience, because you're talking a lot about sitting down with the other side and listening to them and providing mm-hmm. suggestions. And like, I envision this beautiful world where the sales leadership and the PMM team are sitting at a table and like, you know, <laughs> sharing muffins or like something beautiful. <laughs> but like, in your experience, do you typically find that these teams work really, really well together? Or are there pretty consistent points of tension? Like, do they knock heads? Oh, come on. Sales and marketing, I've got marketing in the title, right? So we're always going to love each other for a lot of things, but there's always going to be asks. So I think the number one thing is alignment. And you have to meet with your sales leader and set expectations because you can't do everything. And sales teams want everything. They want it now and they want it in the format that they want, how they want it. And everything is urgent, right? We know this. It's they live quarter by quarter and it's just the mentality. So in a utopic world is it starts with the sales leadership and alignment with the sales leadership of like, you know, what is happening? What's working? and working well that we can continue down and kind of just continue to iterate with. And then where are we getting stuck? And it could be in the pipe, but a lot of times it's enablement. I mean, what I'm learning a lot, especially in this digital world, it's the sales teams feeling comfortable and understanding how to speak in this new normal. Because remember, we used to get on planes and go wine and dine our customers or talk to them and you know have these personal relationships. And I think the sales guys that were the road warriors, and no matter what industry you're in, they build relationships. They're all about relationship building. And now you've got to do it over this box. And how do you do that? How do you translate them? What do you arm them with? So it's been a journey with our sales teams, as well as with us. Like, what do we arm them with? Is too many webinars? Is it too much content? Is it is it engaging enough? So we've had to pivot so much because nobody wants to be spoken to. I mean, I think we've overdone the entertainment as well. So how do you do these bite-sized morsels? So something that we've pivoted to is the attention span with this all digital world lately, even our sales teams. You have three to five minutes, honestly, that's it. Because after that, if you try to talk to them for 25, 30, 40 minutes, you've you've got the glazed eyes. So what can you give them in these small bite-sized morsels that is engaging enough? So from a product marketing perspective, it's really challenged us to be sweet and to the point. Very concise. Words matter. Which is so funny because I think so many people in sales tend to lean on being a little bit more verbose, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like, I'm going to hit the point, but then I'm going to hit the point three more times in different ways because really want to hit the point, you know, and it's (laughs) (laughs) and it works if they know how to hit the point in three different ways. It's a magic. It's really, there's a science to all of this of arming the sales teams with enough, but yet also aren't giving, helping, because let's be real, by the time the customer and the salesperson are having a conversation, the customer is already done research on you because we're in a digital world. 
they've gone to your website, they've listened to webinars, they've found out about you on any type of competitive website. So they know enough about you. So the salesperson doesn't have to start from scratch. They really need to A, understand what the problem is and be able to say that and articulate that in a short, sweet, concise manner and hook them. Yeah. I mean, what you're saying to me, what's brilliant and fascinating about this is there is no clear line between Mm -hmm. whether or not these tips or tactics are marketing or sales. Like to me, I'm like this, I would not know what role you are or what persona you are if I didn't already know based on what you're saying. I'd be like, well, she's clearly in sales or I don't know, maybe that's kind of marketing wise. And well, isn't that what it's supposed to be? It is. If we don't know our sales teams, then we're failing. If we don't know our customers, we're failing. And so today I work under the CMO primarily because it's where it needs to be. We're focused a lot on the go-to-market side of the house. And so we live day in and day out with our sales teams and engaging with them, helping. They're part of our strategy. We can't build a strategy and vet it. Like when we do new messaging, new positioning, we go to our sales teams. Like, what do you think? Is this resonating? Before we go to the customer, they're our first line of defense because at the end of the day, they are our voice into the customer. They're speaking to them every day. And so they're the ones that we vet things with. And so if the lines get blurry, because it's because that's how I want it to be. Yeah. I do the same think, thing with the product team. I mean, we sit yeah. we're talking about sales and marketing alignment right now, but there's a whole semblance about the second half of, you know, the other hat that I have to wear where the product team feels like we're a part of their team as well. So that's why product marketing, we sit in the middle. We're the translator. When I'm sitting with sales, I turn into a salesperson and I put my hat on. And I think about what it means. You know, they're hard. Their job is hard, especially in this digital world. And they think quarter by quarter and quarter, quarter. They're not thinking a year out because in a year, the world could change. The product team, on the other hand, they do. They're thinking 12 to 18 to two years out. So you got to put on a different hat and you've got to think about how do you translate the learnings from the field back to the product team? So that's our job. What I hear a lot and what I think is the key to you having success in at least some level of incredible alignment is I'm hearing you talk a lot about wanting to understand, wanting to work together and truly not having an ego about it. Because we know that when the floor shakes, you dig in your heels. And so the minute somebody is challenged, sales says marketing doesn't know how to sell and marketing says salespeople don't know how to market and product says marketing doesn't know how to market the product properly. That's our job. And sales doesn't know how to. And it's like it turns into this like, pointing. yeah, this three way. But what I'm hearing you talk about is taking the step to say it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about what's right for the company and the product. And I want us all to win. If I have to be wrong to win or you have to teach me something exactly. to win, like, that's great. <laughs> and let's be real. There is a person that has been successful in sales. I sure as heck don't. I, I'm married to a salesperson. I don't want to be in sales. I really don't. I don't like to live by the quotas. That's just not me. I am a geek at, at heart and I am very compassionate about sales, the hard job a salesperson has. And what I ask when we go into every meeting is let's just have mutual respect. You know how to do your job. I know how to do mine. And at the end of the day, we have a common goal. It's the customer. If we don't make the customer happy and we don't engage and relate the customer, we all fail. And that's the common, you have to have a common ground. And then you have to eat a little bit of humble pie because everybody's got an ego. I have an ego, you have an ego, sales teammates have egos, a lot of salespeople, a lot of marketers, we all have egos, you know, and we also hate to think that our baby's ugly, always, right? Right. You know, when you write a messaging or a positioning or you do something, you think it's perfect. And then when somebody tells you it's not resonating, your instinct is put your heels down and say, of course I'm right. When in reality, 
functionality you might not have. And it's a learning, it's an iterative learning journey. And I think that's where you the good turns to great. A sales and marketing relationship or product marketing relationship could always be good. But when it turns to be great is when you have that mutual respect and you listen to each other and you understand that there's no finger pointing. You just say, you know what, this isn't working. Let's figure out why. Do you feel like to start that, if you're listening and you're like, I want this alignment so bad because when the customer wins, we all win. Is it simply one to decide to make it your mission that we're going to put whatever tension we've had in the past behind us and we're going to realign? And that realignment looked like an initial meeting where you were laying out the expectations. You were talking about how you want the relationship to be. You are actually paving the way for how you want to work together. Like, should that be an actual meeting or thing that happens? Or is there a different way to sort of build this bridge? It's a meeting. It's got to be a meeting. And I think you have to come to the table with the goals. And the goal has to be customer related. And for product marketing, it's not always numbers. It's not always top of the funnel, MQLs, SQLs. We're middle to bottom of the funnel. So a lot of what product marketing helps do is move the needle forward in the middle to bottom of the funnel. And that's where the, you know, that's, it speaks to the heart of the sales teams, right? So if you go in saying here and talk to the customers first, before you go to the sales teams, like understand, don't just go and say, Hey, I've been doing product marketing for X amount of years. I know how to do this. No, because I have started up many product marketing organizations in my decades of doing this. And no two product marketing organizations are the same because no two sales organizations are the same and no two customer base is the same. So understand and talk to the customers first, understand what their journey is, understand what their pain point is. And then you'll have the credibility to go in and have that initial conversation with your sales leader and say, I understand your pain. I do. And I want to work with you to help solve it. This is what I understand from a customer. They're overwhelmed. They're bombarded by way too much of my marketing crap. They feel like they're not getting the right message. They want our product. I don't know what, you know, I'm making this up, but whatever that challenge is. And then also listen to the sales team. And then they should, you know, if you have a good relationship and a lot of it is relationship building, work with your sales leader and say, what is your top KP? Is it increased win rate? Like I'm a big proponent of win rates because if you could increase the ACV or average sales price, ASP, then you're winning, right? So that's how I measure success for product marketing. It's increased win rates, increased average sales price. It's not always about how much money or net new logos. It's really, what if I could help you increase your win rates? And a lot of that could be enablement. It could be empowering your sales teams to feel comfortable to speak average sales price? Like what if they could feel comfortable? What if we engage the customer? Would they buy more from us? I mean, I can tell you've been doing this for a long time because that was unbelievably comforting and borderline. When you were like, I'm just making this up. I was like, oh my God, I feel like I want to be like, yeah, I just want to work with you. Like, I think your approach, your intent, the way in which you are truly leaving your ego at the door, I think is so key for somebody in this role. And the main thing you talked about is building relationships and getting Mm -hmm. to know people on a deeper level. And that kind of brings me to wanting to get to know you at a deeper level. Are you sure? I know. I know. I'm so positive, especially after this conversation. If I had time, I would do 10 rapid reveal questions. But we okay. are getting to our rapid reveal, which is a segment of every episode where I ask you five questions and you have 60 seconds or less to answer. Okay. And they are meant to help our audience get to know you a little bit better. Because I imagine after listening to that, everyone is like, I need this woman in my life. So we're going to learn more about you. Are you ready? I am so ready. Come on, bring it. Okay, so number one, what inspires you on hard days? 
my father. He is my inspiration. Unfortunately, I lost him three years ago, but he inspires me to be the best I am, do what I want as a female minority in engineering. It has not been an easy road. And every single time he's like, you put your mind to it, you can do it. That's beautiful. When you talked earlier about your father and you mentioned him tinkering and building things, and I got this mental image of you as a little girl sitting on a stool and just having this moment with your dad watching him (laughs) tinker and being inspired. And I can't talk enough about the impact of a positive male role model. Oh my gosh, yes. I am who I am because he allowed me to be who I am. It's beautiful. Uh, And switching gears because both of us are about to get teared up here. What is an irrational fear of yours? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I think I told you this before. Before COVID, it was bugs. I hate bugs. Irrational, like big bugs. And of course, I'm going to be moving to Florida. So, you know, those big flying bugs. But during COVID, I know, during COVID, it's this weird, irrational fear of being locked in my house. I used to live downtown and we just moved to the suburbs in June timeframe because I needed more space. But it's this total irrational fear that COVID has brought to me that I'm not going to be able to travel anymore. I'm not going to be able to go see the world, meet people. Hug people. It's totally irrational, but it's just so real. <laughs> my husband's like, of course you can leave. I said, I don't know. Can we not? Is it okay? Is it? Yeah, will yeah, I pay for I it later? You? I'm a hugger. Irrational fear. I'm not going to be able to go hug people and get back to life. So that's the irrational, like completely, but it's truly like it post. I know we're going to get past this. Big bugs. Ew. Get them away from me. Big bugs. I can't do big bugs either. No, me neither. Hate it. I mean, yeah. Like I have to hope that my son isn't one day just like, mom, I want like a giant bug in my room because I don't want to stomp on his dreams, but I also might have to stomp on those I don't even like those gerbils and all of that because they remind me of mice. So we never have those in our house. Never. Get in the walls. Yeah. No, rodent, parents, rodents and cages. No, totally. Rodents. No. Totally. Dogs and cats. <laughs> I have four cats, so I'm on board with that. All right, number three. What was the last mistake you made? Okay, well, I forgot to turn the stove off yesterday, so that was like a... I have had the craziest couple weeks at work and personally just doing life, and I just, I was cooking. I'm like, oh my gosh, did I forget to turn... Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I won't. We won't bad, tell anyone. Bad, but other Is than Is it like that, a burner? Burner. Yeah. <laughs> and I live in an old 120 year old home that not good. I don't know where my brain was. It's just one of those things that just happened. So that was my big mistake. Don't tell my husband. That's don't a good me. one. We won't tell him. We won't don't tell him. him. Shh, it's going to be our secret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. What's your earliest childhood memory? The first thing you remember? Oh, I think I was like two or three. And I remember being in India for the first time. So I was born and raised in the US being in India in with my grandmother for some reason being tossed up in the air. That's the earliest memory I have. It's so weird. I don't remember anything else about that trip at all. It just you know, like, you know how you toss babies up and down and like make them laugh. I remember like my grandmother, who I never met after that, like she passed away shortly thereafter. And that's the only thing I remember about my first trip to my home country. It's kind of a crazy exercise to be like the very chronologically the first thing Mm -hmm. I can remember. Like if you're listening, like get lost for a minute and go there. It's very interesting. Do you want something even more profound? Because when you sent me the question, my mind went to why do I remember that? Versus everything else that I could remember over the first three to five years of my life. Why is it that? So I got really deep. So if you ever want to (laughs) go philosophical, grab a glass of wine and go sit outside sometime, go ponder that. Like, what's the first thing you remember? And then why? Yeah. Like, what was the connection? And what is my, you know, what is my brain or my soul telling me about why I remember? And you can get really deep in thought. I did that last night. Thank you. Yeah, I will. After I turned off the burner. (laughs) 
Yeah. Maybe that's why. Oh, you know what? It's my fault. It's no. my fault you didn't turn yeah. off the burner. Sure Blame it on me. Yours, but... All right. Lastly, number five. Do you have any reoccurring dreams? I do, funny enough, which is also the reason that we're moving. Reoccurring dream is being on a beach with my feet in the water. I've been having those dreams for like decades. Like my happy place is on the water, even though I don't know how to swim. So go explain that one to me. I don't understand. I don't swim very well, but my happy place is in the I know, right? <laughs> Oh God, it's amazing. I, I, you know, so the other fear I probably have is like drowning, but that's an irrational right. fear. But I know I'll, I'll be able, I can backflow, so I'll be fine. It's the reoccurring dream is being on the water. It oh. always, and I don't know where it's like, usually if I'm, you know, stressed or just at unease, the only dream I'll remember is floating. You know, when you're in the water and you get out of the water and you feel that, you still feel like you're in the water, that yeah. feeling, that's oh. the feeling I have. It's just a weird dream. Well, that's beautiful. At least it's not like a recurring nightmare because that no, would be worse. No, oh gosh, no. I hope not. I don't like yeah. nightmare. I don't like scary movies. You know, there's oh. that rumor that if you eat something before you go to bed, you'll have a nightmare. I have never heard that. Is that how my husband tells me that? So my kids used to, they like scary movies. So they'll eat before they go to bed. It was just crazy. I don't, I won't eat now before I go to bed because I don't like nightmares. I like your kids. But we are coming up on time and I wanna make sure that people know where they can connect with you, where they can learn more about you, where they can learn more about MuleSoft and how they integrate with Salesforce. Like where do people go to connect with you? LinkedIn, that is the form of communication. I would say Twitter, but I've been really bad with Twitter lately. So LinkedIn is the place. Lincoln, Rita Patel Jackson, check out MuleSoft. We just launched an amazing product as well for the sales and marketing and service people. So now you can do integration straight from Salesforce UI. Check it out. We launched it yesterday, actually. So that's probably why I left the stove on. It's been a little crazy for me launching the product for the very first time to a line of business audience. It's been an amazing ride. So check out LinkedIn or go to, you know, if you want to learn more about MuleSoft, really go to our website. We just updated it to really talk more about what we're doing in the business and everything. It's great. It's a wonderful site to go to and you'll learn everything about integration. It's amazing. Knowing knowing that you had a hand in that and listening to you talk today and dive into your expertise, I would say for people to run, don't walk over. They run too, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's no. magic. I'm yeah. very fortunate. We have some magical things that are happening in the industry overall, not just at MuleSoft, but I think we've hit this perfect storm here and mm-hmm. I'm happy and honored to be part of the ride. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you for being a part of this ride on Taking the Lead. It's been wonderful talking thank to you, you, learning from you and getting to know you. I appreciate it. Well, it's been awesome. What a way to wake up in the morning. This oh, is great. Great. <laughs> Great. And thank you everyone for listening. We will catch you next time on Taking the Lead. I am Christina Brady, President of Sales Assembly. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.